They've had great traction, great early traction with two high profile clients. My concerns are around the sales process and knowing that, you know, law firms, in my experience, are really slow to adopt technologies. I have questions around what comes next and how quickly they're able to convert some of those pilots into commercial agreements. Hello and welcome to Represented by Secret Leaders. I'm your host, Dan murray Serta, and this is a funding pitch podcast where we get black founders to share their startup pitch to our judges for a chance to get funding to build their dreams. Right now, less than 80% of VC firms have a black investor. So what follows is less investment into black founders and the angel scene is not much better. In fact, there have only been 30 black founders that have raised more than £500,000 in the UK, amounting to over 10 £5 million exit. So there is a lot of work to be done. Now, whilst these are sad stats, once you have the data, recognise it's a problem and feel motivated to change things, we can start to feel positive about the possibility of what's to come. The point of this podcast is, of course, not just to showcase some of the brilliant, scalable companies being built by black founders, but to get them funded. That means that if you're listening to these and you know an investor that might be interested, you can share the pitch of this episode with them too. Now, every week, pitches are sent into our investment committee, or IC, which is made up of the top angels and VCs around who screen and select their winning pitch to join us on the show. If you want to apply or you're an investor looking for venture scale deals to diversify your portfolio, either way, you can go to secretleaders.com forward slash represented. Now, given how fast we've moved to record and distribute so we can start sharing the stories and voices, it's not going to be possible on every episode to get hard yes or hard no commitments like you might be used to on shows like Dragon's Den. But at the same time, we're also not talking about negotiating £25,000 for 50% of their business and screwing over the entrepreneurs either. Because in the real world, stuff like that might be good TV, but it's crap business sense. No, this show features great entrepreneurs, scale ideas and the money, valuations and therefore capital requirement is a completely different beast. So with that in mind, what we ask of you, the listener, is to keep track throughout the series, as we will, of the success stories along the way. As we're hoping that as the show goes along, uh, we'll be able to let you know how these businesses are being represented and getting more funding to build their dreams and change the world around us. So if representation and diversity is important to you, then make sure you're doing your part by sharing the episodes with friends on social media and ensuring this reaches more ears. Now, Rich Martel and I are producing the show with great pride, and we sincerely hope it makes some impact and some success stories come out of it too. We're running free ads throughout the series for black-founded businesses too, so don't skip them, listen to what they're sharing, and consider becoming a customer of theirs as well. Now, all this being said, with no ad revenue, but very real production cost to the Secret Leaders team, we put it to you, our listeners, to do your part in helping us with the marketing and PR. Share it in your networks, communities, newsletters, companies, teams. If you know influencers or journalists, don't be shy. Get it in front of them. The success of this series and in some ways the entrepreneurs pitching is down to all of us. So we're excited to see where it goes. Now, on to today's episode. We'll be hearing all about Define, a Microsoft Word plugin for lawyers. 
Now that might sound like a bit of a niche concept and perhaps not really the kind of thing you'd usually listen to and engage with, but the founding story, the size of the market and the brilliant traction that they've got so far make this much more compelling than you might be expecting. So on that note, founder and CEO Namdi brought along his team to answer some of the tougher questions that experienced investor and, you know, Dragon's Den uh, favourite Nick Jenkins had to ask. Now Nick is an angel in many companies and he's also the former founder and CEO of Moonpig, and he was highly sceptical about some of these promises being made by Define. Now, were they able to turn his opinion around, and what did Yvonne and Tom think of their prospects too? Well, you're about to find out. Welcome to Represented. Namdi, over to you, mate. Hello, everybody. My name is Namdi Amalifonwu, and I am the co-founder and CEO of Define, and I'm joined by David McKenzie, Bruce Elliott, David Silver, and uh, Reese Hutkinson, who together comprise ex- essentially the executive committee of Define. So what is Define? Define is a legal tech company. And the problem we're trying to solve is that age-old problem of trying to access easily information in legal documents. So legal documents are littered with Define terms and references. And lawyers have developed various inefficient methodologies to access that information. And actually, the lockdown has actually exacerbated that problem because they no longer have access to things like printing facilities or multiple monitors. And, I, and the problem of the fine actually came from my co-founder, Fergus. So Fergus is a visually impaired lawyer. He's actually one of the few registered uh, blind solicitors in the UK. So when I first met Fergus back when, when I was practicing in the city of London, Fergus came to me with the problem he faced, which was essentially able to easily navigate through legal documents. And together, we came up with a solution. And it was when we developed a prototype of the solution we came up with that we very quickly and instinctively realized that this was a solution that would be applicable to anyone reviewing a legal document and not just the visually impaired. So what is that solution? So Define is a plugin that sits within Microsoft Word and embeds all definitions and references throughout the document, allowing you to easily access information from where you are without having to lose your place. So just to put that into context, let's say I'm reviewing a 200-page document, and I'm on clause 10 of that document, page 50. From clause 10, page 50, I can easily review every part of that document as well as edit any part of that document without having to leave clause 10. This eases the reading of complex documents and importantly, increases accuracy when working on legal documents. So where are we? So we've been piloting with a number of organizations, both law firms and financial institutions, and we've actually had quite a successful rate of conversion from pilot to commercials. Most recently, we signed up Deloitte as well as international law firm Alan Overy. We believe it's a huge market opportunity, and it's quite interesting that our first customer was one of the big four accountancy firms, and we're also in discussions with a number of large financial institutions. So we really think the opportunity is big, as well as being industry agnostic. We've been trading since September 2019, and since then, we've generated about £100,000 in revenue. We have a very experienced uh, team of comprising lawyers, entrepreneurs, and technologists. So we think it's a really nice marriage between lawyers on the one side and technologists forming a very, you know, a very promising legal tech company. We're now seeking to raise £1 million to allow us to continue growing, including launching various new products that will incorporate machine learning as well as, as, well as artificial intelligence, and as well as onboard new customers. And so far, we have approximately £620,000 of that committed. Thank you very much for your time. And I'll open up the questions to the investors um, and you know, plug in my team where, where necessary. 
very slick, Namdi. Thank you for that brilliant pitch. Right, investors, it's over to you with the questions. Yvonne Bajela from Impact X Capital, over to you, please. Thank you, Namdi, for that great pitch. I guess one question I have is around the sales cycle, as law firms are notoriously known for having um, quite a slow adoption of new technologies. So if you could just tell me a bit more about that. Sure. Uh, what I might do, Yvonne, if you don't mind, I'll bring in Rhys Hutchinson and he can talk uh, succinctly about the sales cycle. Thanks, Namdi. Um, so great question, Yvonne, and you are correct. Um, law firms do typically have a very long sales cycle. One of the benefits actually of the COVID-19 lockdown, as sort of traumatic as it's been, is that this has actually shortened the sales cycle. So as Namdi said, the lockdown has exasperated the problem. And we found that you know, lawyers now are reaching out to their innovation teams to ask for solutions such as Define. And so we've seen the sales cycle shorten quite, quite substantially. So that's sort of definitely helped the process. Um, I think it's also important that we engage early with firms and we also hold their hand to sort of help show the return on innovation as well as where the value lies in organization, which are all things that we do currently do to shorten the sales cycle. Great, thank you. When you're selling into these law firms, do you typically go on a departmental basis or do you go in at the, the top level? So we typically go in through the innovation teams. Um, so currently we have been working with sort of top law firms that do have their own sort of innovation and legal tech departments. So we do typically go in there. We are lucky in that we are department of not agnostic. So you know, most lawyers will work across multiple documents. And so actually in any pilot, we do get a broad cross section of departments, whether it's employment, banking and finance, you know, corporate or mergers and acquisitions. Uh, okay, so our second investor we're going to hear from is ex-founder and CEO of Moonpig and former Dragon, of course. So Nick Jenkins, over to you, please. Yeah, the, the, the question I'm interested in is the balance between drafting and reviewing, which in a sense are probably two quite, quite different things. One, I can see a lot of software that's being developed for drafting where the firm is in control of the whole process and reviewing where you're reviewing documents that come in from multiple different firms that can have all sorts of different processes. So where do you, do you see the value more in the reviewing side or in the drafting side? So we think for, for the time being, there, you know, there are various solutions that you've, you've, probably, uh, you've correctly uh, identified, Nick, that deal with the drafting space. And there's actually nothing really that focuses on that reviewing aspect of things. And actually, the reviewing process is actually quite important because you know, firms, uh, their reputation is very important to them. So when, for example, you're trying to work on a document to review it efficiently, you need to make sure that the information that you're, you know, for example, if you're referring to a clause that cross-refers to another clause, you need to make sure that you're accurately uh, sort of accessing that information. So we found that there was actually a bigger opportunity in the reviewing space because there wasn't uh, currently anyone doing anything in that space. But actually where we are going to is to try and create a sort of a whole solution, a single solution. And we are currently one of the products we're developing in, the, in, in our roadmap is a sort of drafting uh, solution to complement the reviewing uh, product we currently have. Right, time to hear from ex-founder and CEO of New Look and uh, also... Uh, the founder of Rianta Capital. So can we hear from Tom Singh, please, sir? I've never been CEO of New Look. Well, you know, we can redo that introduction. And there's no such there's no such thing as an ex-founder. You're always a founder. An ex-CEO, yes, so you're true. always a founder. That's so true. We should just leave this stuff <laughs> in. This is just, gr just grilling the host, you know. And so I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't do everyone's background checks and really I should have got your KYC well, that, too. Well, that's very apparent, so let's just leave it there. <laughs> exactly. Right, we'll do a simpler, a simpler introduction. Uh, can we hear from Tom Singh, please? Yes. 
So two things. One is uh, I was told by a lawyer friend that most legal stuff is based on templates that they pull off the shelf with very little amendment and with all the definitions already in it. And secondly, if it's a complicated situation, uh, a lot of lawyers like to print all the documents so they, they work from printed documents rather than on a screen. Have you come across that and have you done something about it? That, that is the problem our solution caters for. So currently, actually, what lawyers tend to do, there are four main ways they tend to actually work on documents. They're either trying to print it out, you know, get a hard copy printout as you identified, or they may try and split their screen to, you know, using multiple monitors, or they may just simply use the scrolling functionality or try and use control F. Those are all inefficient uh, ways of doing it, actually. And the reason, uh, uh, quite, you know, you know, there are various reasons why that is, but when you're reviewing a very lengthy, complex document, they tend to cross-refer to other provisions. So legal documents rarely sort of uh, reviewed in Salus, right? You don't just look at one provision and that sort of gives you, you know, the totality of your understanding. You need to really understand other parts of that, that sort of, uh, uh, you know, the documentation. So what our solution does is it cuts out that sort of, if you're saying I'm trying to get from, you know, A to D, it cuts out B and C and allows you to easily access the information to assist you with, uh, with, with, with uh, D. In terms of the actual, um, I think your question was to do with having a self, uh, a standalone platform. Uh, I guess what you're talking about is uh, essentially uh, solutions that deal with the automated uh, process. So document automation, that's a very big part of, you know, of the legal um, uh, tech industry. It's not what we currently do. You know, document auto automation is quite, it's quite different in that. What it allows you to do is through various questionnaires, you can actually develop a, you know, a first form uh, agreement. But actually, once you've developed that first standard form agreement, you still need to review it. You still need to access the, 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 the clauses and provisions. You still need to access the defined terms. And actually, even those document automation solutions don't have the solution uh, to, to, to allow you to do that. If you're looking to become an entrepreneur, then think of joining Foundervine, an award-winning social enterprise specializing in digital startup and scale-up acceleration programs. Since launching in 2018, Foundervine has helped over 2,000 diverse future leaders create, test, and sustain entrepreneurial ventures globally. You can follow their work at Foundervine on all platforms and www.foundervine.com. Nick, you've got a question? Yeah, sort of a supplementary question to my last one, which is, as a lawyer, how much of your time do you spend reviewing documents that have been produced by other firms rather than rather than documents that have been produced by you? I mean, how much of your work is spent reviewing third, third party uh, work? Because that's where I can see the real value of this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because in that third party agreements, you actually don't hold the pen on the drafting, right? So you don't necessarily haven't created, you haven't created that document. So you don't actually know how that document forms. I mean, if I was to take a, a stab, I mean, it depends if you're either the, the, the main uh, uh, law firm sort of holding, you know, you know, leading that transaction or your counterparty. Right. If you're the main uh, firm, then yes, you are sort of holding the pen on the drafting. If you're not, you're actually just reviewing. So it's 50-50, I would say, probably. Yeah. And, and would most of those, almost all of those documents be in Microsoft Word? All of them. All of them. Uh, I would say 99% of them so far, yeah. How do you differ from Donna Legal? In many ways. Um, Donna Legal is what we would call a proofreading solution. So what they deal with, so if you think about the document cycle, 
the way we tend to describe it is that you have the active phase of the document cycle and the passive phase of the document cycle. The passive phase is basically once you finish drafting a review in your document and you now want to clean it up, you know, do your proofreading checks, make sure that there are no open square brackets, there are no sort of missing punctuations. You then use a solution like Dunn Legal to do that last minute check. That's what they that's really what their focus is on. What they don't deal with and what we actually focus on is that sort of more active phase as I'm working on the document. I want to access information uh, really simply. You know, I can do that literally with one click. And not only can I access that information, I can edit that information from where I am without having to leave the context of where I am. Donna Legal does not allow you to do that. It's much more focused on that passive sanitization, proofreading part of things. This is, it looks like the kind of thing that LexisNexis should be doing. They don't appear to be doing it. Is there a reason for that? They, they focus, again, on the proofreading side. So they actually compete more directly with Don and Legal. And actually, we've been approached by HG, which are the uh, PE firms that invested in uh, LexisNexis in 2017. And they were very interested in this sort of solution because, again, this will complement quite well uh, what they already have. And actually, the law firms we do work with, one of the feedback we regularly and consistently get is that this solution would complement the LexisNexis uh, Lexis draft solution that they, they currently have. If you go to a major law firm that has 100 lawyers, how many of those lawyers do you think would adopt your solution? Reese, you want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so, great question, Tom. And, you know, I'm not going to sort of say that it'll always be 100% of the firm. Um, you know, for example, the litigation teams will typically work with court documents that would be less applicable for Define. Um, as I was saying to Yvonne earlier, though, you know, during our pilots, actually, we've got a cross-section of, of all departments within a firm. So whether it's employment, whether it's banking and finance, corporate, um, you know, tax, any of those teams, real estate especially, most contract, most lawyers are, are working in contracts and have a need for this kind of tool. And indeed, we've seen usage across, across most of the spectrum. So it'll never be 100%, so I'm not going to lie to you and say that, but I would say at least 80 to 90% of a law firm would, would be using it. And then again, um, you know, on our product roadmap and development, we're looking at how we build tools to capture the remaining 10%. My question was really about, okay, you talked about the revenue, what the revenue might be. What I'd like to know is what the profitability of this would be and what your costs of sale are. I have no idea how much does it cost, how much would it cost to maintain a database of all these definitions and presumably you have a team of lawyers who have to do that. And yet that, that database is the same whether you're serving a million lawyers or 10,000 lawyers. So, um, so what's the cost of sale involved in here? So I might bring in David McKenzie for this, if, that, if you don't mind, Nick. Hi, Nick. Um, so we, we assume that we could charge about £45 per user per month. Now, it's not as if they have some repository where they have a, a database of keywords that populate our, uh, that, that are pop that's populated from our software. So our software isn't added additional overhead, if that makes sense. Now, yeah, no, I, I, get, I mean, you presumably have a cost of sale in terms of selling. Actually, you know, you've got a lot of law firms to contact and you've got a cost associated with that. But other than that, you have no real marginal cost of sale, I presume. Uh, but, but you must have significant overheads in maintaining. You have to produce this database, I guess. Uh, we don't have to produce the database. So who, who, who is putting these, def these definitions taken from another, from another database? It's the lawyer, the end user. So our technology is just a layer over their documents. Okay, but I mean, if you're if you're reviewing a document that has a defined that has a term in it, uh, is it merely saying is it merely referring back to the definitions at the beginning of that document? Is is that is, is that what it does? That's correct. Uh, Dave, do you want to chime in in terms of how the 
how the technology uh, works locally? So all the information is cached within the user's local machine. So there's no storage outside of the user's uh, personal computer. Uh, the roadmap that we're creating will eventually go to a more centralized repository. But at the moment, our current defined plugin is a local install, local solution. So there's no accessing uh, or uh, a central repository at the moment. Okay, so what that tells me is that you don't have you don't have you, your intellectual property doesn't include the sort of um, uh, you're only taking the client's own definitions from it from the from the own do- their own document. So it's not as if you have an intellectual property base of a of, of a large definition ba- um, uh, collection of definitions. So it is just the software. That's the intellectual property. It's just the software. Absolutely. So right now, um, that's where we are currently. Where we are going to is exactly as we do plan on creating our own sort of essentially definitions database and clause bank uh, that essentially we can give that access. Uh, we can have access to firms, a firm's database. And as they're doing the drafting, they can, we can actually allow them to easily access that information. But that's where our roadmap is leading us. We're starting with something a little bit easier to sort of to sell, essentially, uh, something that probably has a, a, a much more, a much simpler solution for a problem which is probably bigger at the moment. And I think once we've dealt with that, then we are going to move towards what the sort of things you're talking about, yeah. Just one clarification. Uh, David said David talked about forty-five pounds per month, and the deck talks about twelve pounds fifty a month. Which one is it? Yeah, so it is forty-five pounds per user per month. So that was that was sorry, that was an earlier version. What has happened, um, sort of as I was saying to Yvonne, based on the feedback we've received from a number of pilots, we've actually seen the value that is being created for the end users a lot higher than we initially thought. And so as a result, because we adopted value-based pricing model, the pricing's adjusted a bit. And that's pricing that, that all our customers have been happy with. It's out of ignorance. Are these definitions standard across the whole industry? If you're going to go to a central repository. Yeah, so, so there, are, there are certain definitions that, so for example, if I'm drafting a facility agreement in the UK, I'm probably starting with the Loan Masters Association precedent, uh, which is the industry standard form that most uh, you know, UK companies will start with. Um, Nick, it's worth mentioning when our technology is integrated, Whatever definitions or references in the future uh, we'll be able to sync, it, won't, it will never leave that law firm's um, servers. So even if you can go ahead and grab certain um, templates or certain universal definition terms, uh, there will never be a mix. It's worth mentioning that. Okay, so, so it, it, that is worth clarifying, that if someone has sent you a document with a definition that differs from the standard uh, from the standard term, what I as a reviewer don't want to be seeing is I don't want to be seeing what, a version that differs from what, what the other law firm have put in the document itself. So, so at the moment, what you're saying is that the document, it reads the definition that's been put in by the drafting law firm. Uh, if you go to build your own database of definitions, then uh, is there a danger that the de- that, the, that, that definition might uh no, not, not at all, actually, because what that, what that will do, that will actually complement it. So let's just imagine you have two separate layers, right? So the first layer, okay, well, this is what the drafting law firm has included as their standard definition. What you can do is say, okay, do we have a precedent document that has dealt with a similar sort of transaction? And can we see the definition we use in that particular document? And what our software can then do is allow you to do maybe a black line or a red line and see the difference between the two, which will allow you to then give sort of very informative feedback. That's fair enough, yeah. Yeah. 
I think it's an interesting product. I think it's a simple solution and it's driving efficiencies within the drafting and reviewing process, which is where lawyers do tend to spend most of their time. The team, I think, is also credible in, in that they have deep industry knowledge. Um, they've had great traction, great early traction with two high profile clients. My concerns are around the sales process and knowing that, you know, law firms, in my experience, are really slow to adopt technologies. Um, obviously, they've done quite well to sell into Alan Lowbury, but I have questions around what comes next and, you know, how quickly they're able to convert some of those pilots into commercial agreements. And what do you, what do you think out of interest on, uh, on their valuation and funding journey so far? I think that they've done quite well. I think they, they've raised 150k to date. And with that, they've, they've got pretty far. The valuation that they're raising, I think, is, is fair for the stage of the company. Cool. Okay, what do you think, Nick? It's a great team, and they've gone for a niche that they really clearly understand. Um, the difficulty I can see is that they're up against some pretty stiff competition in terms of what they're offering. And, and what they're offering is quite bare bones at the moment. You know, If you look at it from, from one of the, the, the other competitors' perspective, if they could develop the pilot for £150,000, then it means that the competitor could easily develop the same product for the, for the, for the same amount. So, so I, I'm, I, I would be concerned. I think it's a, it's a sector that isn't particularly price sensitive. So £45 a month, £500 a year in the context of a, of a lawyer, if it makes it much more efficient, it's probably fine. It's the sustainability of that over time as, uh, as, as, as you know, if Microsoft just decided to introduce this as standard uh, on, their, uh, on, on, the, on, their, on their package, um, then... That would blow it out of the water. So, so that would be my main concern: is the sustainability. When you're charging five hundred pounds a month for something, if actually the depth of technology is quite thin, and, and you're just hoping to sell that on, and I, I agree with Yvonne, I think selling into the large firms, you've got some economies of scale there, but selling into all the, all the smaller law firms is a lot of hard work. Um, and uh, you know, if you've got say ten lawyers, it's five thousand pounds per year for a law firm. It's you've got to use a lot of shoe leather, I think, to, to, uh, to, to or, or develop a ph- phenomenal brand. So I think there'll be a lot of cost associated with selling it into uh, the law firms once you've hit the, once you've gone through the big ones. XPO is a scaling influencer marketing platform for small businesses by building Facebook ad software with influencers. If you're interested to find out more and maybe becoming a customer, then go to www.xpo-app.com. What about what about the Rianta position between Tom and Ben? What did you think, Tom? I think the defensibility uh, issues is, is important. How, how long they can have this space to themselves. And also, I agree. I agree with Nick that there's maybe five, six, seven major law firms that have a lot of uh, lawyers. When you go down to the smaller firms, it's it's a lot of effort to convince these people to change their methods to to introduce something that is new, which they may not be willing to do. So maybe the big firms have 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 a department that looks at uh, innovation and and they've taken it on board, but. Will a, will a small firm of five lawyers have that? They'll probably just reject it and say, we're quite happy as we are. Although with the, with the fees they, they charge, they should be looking at ways to be more efficient. It's a question of mindset and whether they're willing to do it. We are going to get quick feedback from the judges um, and really go in the order that we started in. So if we can start with you, Yvonne, please. Yeah, sure. Great pitch, Namdi. I think that, you know, what you've developed is a simple solution, driving efficiencies in the process. 
um, key concerns around the sales cycle for law firms, particularly when you know you move away from the larger firms. Uh, however, you know as you mentioned, the, the sales cycle has sped up during this period, um, and you know I'd be interested in in getting a better understanding with uh, you know that sales cycle with non-law firms, the larger corporates that you're currently in conversations with. I am interested in having another conversation, and there are also a few other investors that I, I would like to introduce you to. Thank you, Ivan. Great. So, Nick, over to you, please. What I like about this is that you've identified you've identified a niche that you clearly understand very, very well. You've got a great team, and it's also a price and sensitive niche. Um, so, this is a this is a product that it, it, the product aren't many companies that would bother that would want to roll this out because it is it is a niche thing. I love niches. I, I I'd be concerned about. I want to understand more about about why how much it would cost your competitors simply to replicate what you've got. But I would like to find out more about it. So uh, yes, I'd like to. I'd like to hear more. Um, and I, I'd also like to understand your logic of how you think you can sustain uh, 450 pounds, 400, 500 pounds a year per per client when actually you have quite a you know quite a thin solution. So, uh, but I'm intrigued. I'd like to hear more. Okay, Tom. Uh, great team uh, achieved a lot with a relatively small amount of money. Uh, concerned about the defensibility of, of, of the product and if it can be made more defensible. And uh, outside of the big firms, the cost of actually recruiting smaller, uh, smaller firms of lawyers with five, six, seven lawyers, whether that's, a, that's going to be a major issue once you've hit all the big, big firms. So probably not one for me, but uh, as I said, a great team and, and achieved a lot with a relatively small amount of money. Thank you, Tom. Namdi, um, I'd love to know what you thought about the process, what you thought about the feedback, um, how you're feeling about your chances. Yeah, sure. No, I thought, um, firstly, thank you very much for the, for the opportunity to pitch. I think it's a great sort of thing what you guys are trying to do to sort of make, uh, you know, get money and capital more um, available to minor, you know, minority-run businesses and minority uh, entrepreneurs. So that's really great. Uh, I thought the process was uh, was awesome. I thought the investors seemed very switched on. Uh, I, I, none of them seemed to be, you know, be ex-lawyers or you know, worked in the legal profession, but I think they seem to understand the sort of solution and the problem very quickly. It may be also because we've you know, purposely developed a very simple solution, but the problem is quite large. Um, I would have liked to have, you know, I think one of the um, sort of... Um, hesitations Nick had and maybe Yvonne was about sort of the defensive and sorry and Tom was about the defensibility we would have been able to we you know I would have liked to have answered that because we you know we do have very good answers for that uh, but overall I really enjoyed enjoyed the, uh, the, uh, the experience. Great and where can where can investors find us where can we follow you on on Twitter and on Instagram so we can you know people listening can say uh, something positive about you on social media hopefully um, and uh, and, where, and where we might email you as well. Sure, please. Um, if you'd want to like to get in touch and if you like what you've heard, uh, feel free to uh, email at um, namdi at trydefine.com. So that's double N-A-M-D-I at trydefine.com. Uh, you can also find me link on LinkedIn, uh, Namdi Emelifonwu. Uh, if you use the same first name and just type in E, I'm probably the only Namdi E uh, on LinkedIn. So I, 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 you know, and then the website is www.trydefine.com. You can also sort of get in touch via the website as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, Namdi. Really appreciate your time and good luck. Thank you very much. 
Next week on Represented by Secret Leaders, will collaborative TV watching app Bleep, whose co-founders are from Goldman Sachs and Viacom, prove to the judges that they have what it takes to win over Gen Z and build the next social media phenomenon? Tune in or you'll miss out. The notion of creative, I think, has changed. TikTok shows us this uh, because TikTok is not about original creation either. TikTok is actually about mimicking and copying behavior. Uh, everyone's on TikTok copying the dance, mimicking behavior. And it's kind of the same thing here. It's very easy to get creative because we all have these servers that we walk around with all day and they all collect content. That's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed what you heard, then share the iTunes or Spotify link and you can find me on social at Dan Murray Serta on all platforms and Define on Twitter at TryDefine. We're going to be tracking their journey along the series so we can update you of their eventual funding success. As you can probably agree, they're onto great things. If you're an investor interested to learn more about the great applications we're getting from Black-founded companies and want access to their funding decks and even introductions, or you're an entrepreneur looking to apply to be on the show to be considered by our investment committee, either way, please go to secretleaders.com forward slash represented and follow the links there. Big thanks to our producer, Rich Martel, editor Harry Morton of Lower Street Media and illustrator Christina Katz for helping put this show together. We'll see you on the next episode and remember to help us spread the word and make sure we get more black founders represented. See you next week.